Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am joined today by Joe748 and Curly Fry. How are you doing, Curly Fry? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing, Joe748? Good. Yeah. People can't see this, but Joe's background is El Cortez Hotel and Gambling Hall. So I can't help but smile every time I look at Joe and see El Cortez in the background. Best blackjack odds in Vegas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Curly Fry. This is fun to... I mean, I'd never met you, but know you through the forum and you have quite an exciting story. So thanks for joining us. Let's get right into your story, start your origin story, yeah. <laughs> like superhero origin story. How did you get interested in card counting? So it's not something that I really like planned on getting into where I like saw a video and thought like, oh, that looks cool. Let's learn about that. It was more just kind of random. I, you know, like from my forum posts that I dealt with cancer for a while and the treatment that goes along with that. And, you know, one of the things they really don't prepare you for is like hours and hours of infusions is super boring. Like there's not a lot to do. So towards the end of it, I downloaded this like very random blackjack app where you play against other people. And then that just kind of got the wheels turning for like, oh, well, once I'm better again, it would be fun to do this like in real life. And then when I sort of started going to casinos more, I was like, it would be a lot more fun if the edge were on my side. And so then that's how I got into card counting, found BGA, and yeah, the rest is history. Awesome. So let's back up. What were you doing before all of this? So ever since college, so eight or nine years, I was in pharmaceutical advertising and that's really all I ever did. And I was between just two agencies in that whole time, which is kind of unusual people in that field tend to jump around a lot. But I just stuck with my two and I thought, wow, this is probably what I'm going to do for, you know, until retirement and really doubled down on that career, went back to grad school to, I guess, make my options open in terms of going client side or more C-suite in the agency that I was with. That was my dream. And yeah, that was the plan. (laughs) And how did that plan change? Really, it was cancer that changed the plan. Like I still went to grad school. I still graduated, but it was a month after I graduated from my MBA program that I was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, you can't work and go through that. So I guess life kind of just made me pivot. And I did go back to that job after I was finished with all of my treatments and everything, because the plan was to just kind of pick back up where I had left off. And then Blackjack found me between then. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you find out you had cancer? It was while I was in class, I was, you know, taking notes. And then all of a sudden I just found I had this like stabbing sudden pain in my right side. And I had to leave class because it was so distracting. And then I ended up going to a chiropractor and he did an adjustment and he was like, you know, if it doesn't get better, go to a doctor. And that night I really couldn't stand that well. So then I went to the ER and they prescribed me not just Tylenol, but Advil as well. So I doubled up. (laughs) And I mean, it didn't not help, but I mean, like not really. So I guess after just a few months of different doctors telling me one thing, it was also during the pandemic. So while my doctors were like, you know, normally we would 
send you in for an MRI, but the hospitals, especially in New York City, are terrible right now. So maybe don't do that. Maybe just try some physical therapy at home to alleviate your symptoms. But then like once it got to the point like I like could not walk without crutches or even then it was difficult, then they're like, it's time for an MRI. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary that you didn't go in sooner for the MRI or whatever, but you're young and healthy in every other way. So I assume that's not what they're thinking. Was it just no symptoms at all? And then bam, like one day you just couldn't even stand. Like, was there any lead up or was it totally? Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, a story that just looking back even made sense. It wasn't something that just got progressively worse that I was just coping with until I couldn't. It really would be there one day and gone the next. So I could have a really bad day and then the next day not have any issues. So it was like pretty sporadic and I'm not really sure why it was like that, but it was. But the only symptom that was a little weird is every time the pain came back, it came back with a fever without any other symptoms. Oh, wow. So I thought that was strange. And of course, I go on like, you know, WebMD and think I have bone cancer. And like one night, you know, when you can't fall asleep, your brain just goes into every possible situation. So I had convinced myself like, bone cancer. I'm going to have to like tell my friends and family. And I'm like upset about it. And my husband's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I think I have bone cancer. He's like, I get WebMD is a scary place, but like, let's cross that bridge when we get there. And I'm like, for sure. I was right. (laughs) Wow. So you get the MRI and then what? Yeah. It's weird. Like a diagnosis like that kind of takes a few weeks to happen anyways, because the MRI just kind of shows them like a mess of cells that doesn't look right. I'm not necessarily like what's wrong about it. It said, I think suspicious of cancer cells, but it, it can't confirm a diagnosis for you. So when my doctor got the report from the radiology center, he called me and he was like, this is outside of the scope of my practice, but I'm going to refer you to Memorial Sloan Kettering. And like, for those of you who don't live in New York or on the East Coast, that's just a very well-known cancer hospital. It's almost exclusively what they treat. So he was kind of telling me like what it was without telling me what it was. So it was at that point where I knew it was more serious than like sciatica. And so I just got my diagnostic tests more from them because it, you know, required more imaging and a biopsy and all that, all that dress. And so they find out it is cancer and you started chemo or? Yep. So I think within a few days of confirming which type of cancer it was from the biopsy, I started chemo like within that week. There really isn't like a lot of time to wait once you know what you're dealing with. So my first day of chemotherapy was actually on my 30th birthday. And they were like, you know, your life is about to change kind of in a big way. Like if you want to take this birthday, like enjoy it, do whatever, and like come back and do chemo on the next day. They're like, that's fine. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of like a, not really in like a celebratory mood and like be like, what better way to like celebrate than tell cancer to kick it. So like, that's great chose to do that. And so, yeah, from that was July 8th, 2020. And then my first, I guess, I think six or seven cycles went through December, some radiation in between that. And like when you're on radiation and chemo at the same time, like you bring in your IV, like down to a different floor of the hospital and you go through all of that. Like I almost don't even remember it, like maybe thankfully, but like it 
you know, obviously is not a targeted treatment. It attacks everything, like including your brain cells, which is, I guess, a little bit productive too, because like, I just don't remember wow. like, the details of that time. Plus I was sleeping a lot. Yeah. I wasn't, I guess, healthy enough to be bored yet. Like that didn't happen until like my like second round of chemo in 2021. I did it again from, I think like February to June was the next round of cycles. And that's when I was healthy enough to be bored, bored enough to play blackjack and then interested enough in blackjack to find card counting. What was that app? Oh my God. I almost don't even want to promote it because it like <laughs> went to shit like pretty rapidly. Oh no. <laughs> it's called Blackjack Duel because uh. you're dueling against like another person. Yeah. Against the house, which is also kind of why I was open to it because A, I didn't really trust like a computer to be honest about it. But hey, if it's like me versus you and we're just seeing who does the best in, you know, a an identical situation that's kind of fun yeah so i did that and that was also kind of fun because there wasn't really a social aspect to it because it was for real money like low stakes but still real money and they didn't really want users talking to each other so you couldn't message or anything but someone i had been like matched up against with like a lot (laughs) and i happened to win like a lot of those matches changed their username to curly you're killing me because my name was <laughs> in the app and like i had probably just taken like a you know some of his money and like we're still friends <laughs> so oh wow met that way through this like ridiculous app that's it's just fine how did it go to shit oh it just because they used to have this thing called like bonus money that you could put towards real games. And then once they capped how much bonus you could put towards a game, it really kind of lost all of its value anyway. So it's really just kind of like a pretend reward to like a participation trophy. Okay. And then they also had like cash prizes every week for like people who are on the app the most. And then they took that from being like real money to this valueless bonus money. Okay. It's so bad. So there were some ways to kind of AP it. There were a little bit, yeah. It was like it would deal two people the same hands or... Yeah, the same hands. And could you count on it or just play perfect basic strategy? So I thought like maybe you could count on it. And there was one night where I'm texting that friend. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And I spent like, I don't know, maybe more hours than I would like to say openly wondering if you could count because it also showed you the half deck that wasn't like as if you were like starting in the middle of a single deck game so you could figure out what the count was like at that point oh but then and what i know now that i didn't know then none of that matters because it shuffles every single every hand okay okay so yeah you can just play basic strategy and and if you're playing against someone that doesn't play basic strategy you could uh be a better player than them yeah you could i mean i think also so much luck is involved because you also decide how much to bet each hand based on what the first card is so it will deal you a card then you decide what to bet then it deals you your oh. second card, and then you make your playing decisions yeah there's a is it Griffin's book, Theory of Blackjack, probably has, you know, based on your first card, if you have an advantage or disadvantage. Anyway, we're we're getting like kind of in the weeds about this app. But when I heard that you downloaded this app, I was like, oh, tell me me more about this. How could it be beaten? 
<laughs> well, now that you've told me about this, maybe potential new edge, that will be my next hyperfixation from now until Sunday. So thank you. Yeah, I have the book. It's either on my desk here. No, it's in the closet, like right next to me, but I'm not going to interrupt our interview <laughs> to look it up. <laughs> did you know Perfect Basic before you started playing the app or did you start to get into Basic after? No, not before I started playing on the app. And I was actually so surprised by some of the moves that Basic Strategy like said were correct. Because like in the app, you know, sometimes you do crazy things to just get like a slight lead. What I thought was crazy was like doubling a soft 14, um, like against the form. Like, that's crazy. I would never do that. And I'm like, oh shit, like maybe you do. Or a soft 15, like ace four, so soft 15. But yeah, like there were things like that I didn't know. Or even like the easy ones where you have a 10 and you double against a two through nine. Like, I didn't know that. I thought you only were supposed to double. 11s. I thought that was the only doubling rule. So, so you played like the average person in a casino. And yeah, pretty much. Until you found basic strategy. So explain again how it went from, you know, this app to, I guess, was it when you were done with chemo or were you still doing chemo and you were thinking ahead? No, I was done with chemo by that point. And then I guess, I mean, the other big life change that I think made me more open to blackjack was I got married right out of college and you know, you're faced with this decision, like, okay, you are living this one life and you assume like, I guess like the rest of my peers that I had another, probably like, I don't know, I was 30. I thought I had maybe another like 40, 50 years left to like do whatever. Yeah. I never really like thought about what that would look like. And then like hearing, okay, not 40 or 50, like 10, if you're lucky, maybe more like five, but also like, probably not that. And I just didn't want to keep having the same like rinse, wash, repeat days that I'd been having, even though they were great days, like not knocking it. It was like good, but just, I wanted something different. So left that relationship and I moved in with my cousin who was going through a divorce at the same time. And I'm laughing because that shouldn't be allowed like ever. Like we were, (laughs) we had a lot of talks from concerned friends and family, like reel it in because we were just doing really whatever we wanted for a few months together as we were divorce buddies. But it was because I didn't have that accountability to somebody else that I felt like I could take a small bankroll and go to a casino because I'm losing my money. I'm not losing our money. Yeah. And so that's why I was more comfortable going to the casino before I could count or before I even started counting. I just thought it was fun. I expected to lose. You know, I went in with a budget and like, if I lost it, I lost it, but I was fine with that. But then I guess just being in that environment more, I was like, well, why should I keep losing? Like, this is dumb. (laughs) So did my research. And so you started training, what, you got a membership, started training, I think October of that year. Okay. October 2021 sounds about right for, yeah, when I got my membership and I started training using like the suite in the software. And were you working full-time at this point? No, I hadn't gone back to work yet. So you had plenty of time to dive in. (laughs) Nothing but time. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you train for? Well, my first day in my results tracker, which I would consider like day one for me was December 1st, but I was going to the casino before that because I kind of created stages for training for myself. So like stage one was memorizing basic strategy and I didn't want to go to 
really a casino again until I knew that in and out. So I did that on the software. But once I figured that I had that, then I went to a really, really low stakes casino in New Hampshire where I was spending some of my time. And like the minimum was $2. The maximum was $5. Like you could lose tens of dollars in a night <laughs> if you weren't careful. <laughs> um, so that's that one to two spread. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You got to go on tilt and start betting $5 a hand. <laughs> can't get into trouble there like you, you just can't and i mean like the dealers were wearing their favorite sports jerseys it looked like your grandmother's living room in there and i think at one point like the dealer dealt wrong like he did a whole card up and he's like whoops and like flipped it back over <laughs> <laughs> that's what the environment was and so yeah i would just practice basic there to see if i could do it in real life like at that pace where i can't pause or whatever yeah and that was like my level one. And then level two was not changing my bets at all. Cause what are you going to do two to five, but just counting. And I think, you know, like by then I was like friendly with the dealers. I'd be like, one, two, three, two. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody cared at all. So that's how I practiced counting. And then once I felt like I could combine the two, I went to like a real casino and practiced that, but that still wasn't day one. I practiced until I felt like, okay, now I'm going to actually put a bankroll towards it. And that was December 1st. So two months all in all. Yeah. And you put a bankroll towards it. What, what was your bankroll? 2,500. So I was like red shipping it. And looking back, I didn't realize how high my variance was for what I was betting, but it was high. Like I was leaving with like around like $800 to $1,000 a session, which I had no business doing. Yeah. I was just doing really well with what I was betting. So when you had that 2,500, like what, what was your max? My max bet was like, I think 250. But oh, wow. one, yeah. I hadn't even gone to two hands yet. Yeah. Until I realized I could like reduce my risk by half, whatever. Like I hadn't even gotten that far yet. <laughs> if you're betting 10% of your bankroll... At once, you're probably over betting, but one thousand percent. Like my career should have been over a hundred times. Oh no! And the shoebox that I kept it in. (laughs) I was like looking at this money. I was like, no, like this is like I get to keep it. No, like it was crazy. Was it pretty quick that you kind of got your your risk under control? Yeah, for sure, (laughs) definitely. Literally, the way that I looked at it, I wasn't doing a career bankroll. I was literally looking at like just trip risk of ruin, not like that 2,500 and that's it. I was literally looking like, what are the odds I'm going to walk in and lose all 2,500 of these dollars that I brought? So that was the ROR I was looking at. And if it was under 50%, I was good. <laughs> like, I Wow. Was- Trip, under 50% trip risk. That's funny. So a little pro tip to anyone listening in our betting software, same with CBCX, there's risk of ruin and then there's trip risk. And we've actually added a thing to make it super, super obvious to people. Trip risk is just like, what are the odds of losing money at the casino today? And the only reason we have a trip risk thing, the only reason Norm has it in CBCX is so that people know how much money to bring to the casino that day. Because I've been in the 
situation where I didn't bring enough and have to make the walk of shame out to my car because I lost my last bet. But that tool is never to be used for your entire bankroll unless you're okay with (laughs) that chance of losing your entire bankroll. And I'm sure that my trip risk was probably around somewhere pretty high when I started because I didn't know what I was doing either. But you very quickly started... You didn't keep playing at 50% trip risk. Oh my God. No, like, no. Once I had like money to play with and I was enjoying it and I thought like, this isn't just like an experiment anymore. It's something I want to maybe include as a hobby that I do more often. Like I couldn't be playing with those percentages at all. So then I rescaled. And as you increased your betting, were you getting backed off locally or... Oh, oh my God. My first back off is so embarrassed. Oh my God. I was on a Tinder date. It was so embarrassing. Oh my God. It had never happened to me before. So we weren't playing with a lot of money. It was just like, oh, that's a fun environment to like get to know someone. Like if there's an awkward silence, like you're still like doing an activity together. Oh my God. And so, yeah, he had a lot of questions (laughs) or if he was about to do something like off base, it could be like, well, no, like actually, or whatever. So he knew you were counting. I don't think I told him I was counting. I think I just told him like, I really love this game. And like, there's a right move and a wrong move. I'll help you out. I don't remember if I told him. There was not a second. I don't remember. But like... um... I think bringing a first date to a casino, you can see a lot of red flags really quickly. (laughs) He's like, it's not a red flag. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think... We were there for like two or three hours until they backed me off. But they also kind of recognized me, I think, from like the last few times I had been there also. So maybe they had a hunch and then whatever. But yeah, that was my back off. And then after that, it started happening a lot more. You don't have to say the place, but was this a a really big place or a smaller place? Midsize, like I'd say big to midsize, especially for the area. Okay. And then after like that first back off, when was the next time you went to a casino? Was it like months after or like a few weeks after? Immediately after. Like I went back to that casino. Like, Did you go on a second date with that guy? No. (laughs) That was it. No, I didn't. He was bad luck. Yeah, I think so. What were you betting when, when you got your first back off? The table minimum was 25. So I think I was scaling like 25 min, 500 max, but across two hands, so 250 and 250. So and, it's not crazy, but but you were betting heavy kind of from the beginning. You were betting 250. So it wasn't like, was it like five to 250 or at first it was five to 250. And then like at this $25 table, obviously not. But no, and over betting is like it's still my number one demon that I have to not pay attention to. So I just want people listening to hear that <laughs> that Curly Fry was using a one to a hundred bet spread from the get-go. <laughs> And it was actually the one to 20 bet spread where you got backed off, not the one to 100. Because people think there's this magic thing about the unit bet spread that gets people backed off. And it's not exactly. It's a combination probably of winning. And you probably had won quite a bit at this point, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Five figures. Yeah. From that property I had. Yeah. Yeah. That week. (laughs) Oh yeah. So, so it's winning, but it's also just, yeah, moving the bets and you know, it's, it's multiple things, but it's not like, Oh, one to 10 bet spread. You're out of here because you're using one to hundred bet spread and they didn't deem you a threat yet. So anyway, just to, it's like that Tommy Highland story of him and his team. They're like, let's experiment and we'll do a really, we'll do a higher minimum. 
and do a way smaller spread. They did that, and it was even quicker. They just couldn't handle the swings. The casino couldn't handle the swings. That was with the computers when they were still legal. And they said, hey, with the edge that we have, we can go like 500 to 3,000 or something like that. And they're like, we'll never get backed off. It's a one, you know, one to six best spread. But it wasn't the unit bet spread. It was the amount they were winning and, and just the amount of action they're putting on the table. The casinos, they lasted shorter. We experimented with that with the church team. We had what we called the huge spread and only certain players were allowed to use it. But it was 500 minimum to two spots of 3,000. So what is that? A one to 12. And, you know, some places it worked because you're just betting all purple the whole time. But other places, like the amount of action you're putting on the table, casinos, they're just panicking. We have this book we're coming out of stories and Stan Podolock has an awesome story in there about the casino having too small of an emotional bankroll. Like they couldn't <laughs> handle. Sorry to spill the beans there, but it's a great story. Okay. So you grew your bankroll locally and where did things go from there? So after I grew it to the point where it was time to either be happy with my EV or I could potentially like rescale again. And it was talking to like, he's going to hate hearing this. It was talking to my dad that made me realize I needed to rescale again, because by this point I had quit my job because my EV and my AV were both more than what I was making at work. And then I moved back to the city. I live in New York City. And my dad's like, okay, so like, what's your plan? And like, my dad spent his whole career, like in business, very numbers driven, you know, not a fly by the seat of his pants kind of guy. <laughs> That's more me. <laughs> and so he's like, all right. So you moved into this apartment. You like nice food. You like to travel. He's like, what do you need to earn to support your lifestyle? And I'm like, that's a great question. Let's figure that out. He's like, and what are you making to be able to, you know, pay your bills? And just because it had been working doesn't mean it was going to continue to work. And I moved back to an expensive lifestyle. So I recalculated my spread based on what I would need to pay the rent here to do activities with my friends. I love traveling. So I figured out what I wanted my new salary to be in my spread. Like, let me tell you, it's different now. But then I was able to do that because my ex and I had recently sold our house. So I have this half of, you know, a sum of money that when I recalculated everything in my like career bankroll, like I could actually afford this spread. Did it make me want to puke? Yes. <laughs> like for mm -hmm. sure. I think I so like my previous max bet was 250. Now it's 2000, two hands of 1000. I want to take a quick moment and talk about the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. If you haven't checked it out, you really don't know what you're missing. There is everything you need to train, find community, and get the tools you need as a card counter. There's a test out drill in the training suite. And if you aren't testing your skills regularly, you really shouldn't be playing a casino. There's an entire video course that covers the basics all the way to more advanced stuff like cover, team play, casino relations. There's betting software, a forum, a chat room with regional chat rooms to meet with local APs, as well as results tracking software and members only podcasts. So check it out at blackjackapprenticeship.com. And yeah. And my first time doing that, I was like, like yeah. <laughs> my hands were 
so shaky. And I remember the first big hand that I lost at the casino that eventually put me in OSN, no less, even though I have been back and they welcomed me back with a different casino host. More on that nice. later. But basically, yeah, it was a high count situation. I had tens. Dealer had, I forget, a five or a six. It was time. It was time. So I split four times, like two hands. Yeah. So you had a pair of tens and you split four times. Yeah. It didn't go great, Colin. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't go great. And I was like, man, that sucks. But also since then, those hands have gone my way too. But yeah, that's that's like part of it. So when you uh, recalculated this new bet spread going forward with this bigger bankroll, what would you say your risk was if you could remember? My career? Yeah. Five. Okay, cool. So at this point, did you already quit your job? Yeah. Okay. And then like, what was your mindset going forward as far as like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play blackjack like solely for a career and leave behind the old work. Like kind of what was the perspective shift? Like what made you not want to go back to your, your old job? Mainly the hours. And maybe this, I'm sure it's true of a lot of different types of jobs. I can only speak to advertising, but like, man, the hours sucked. And there was no really incentive money-wise for working 60 hours versus 40. At 40 hour weeks weren't a thing. That didn't happen. Like you were coasting between like 50, 60, sometimes 70. I worked through Thanksgiving like a few times, like holidays, weekends, all of it. And like, why? (laughs) Like I did well in my job and I got that recognition, but like, what did that even matter if I had no time to even like enjoy it? And I didn't. And I always used to say like, well, if I didn't have, you know, all of this time dedicated to my job, like I would be at the gym. I would be, yeah, I would have time to meal prep. I would be doing all of these things, but can't do it because of this job. And then I'm like, you know what? Like you can actually have that life if you not like work for yourself, but if you're on your own schedule and the way that I did my new salary, my new calculation was that my N zero of the games that I'm playing are around like between like 200 hours and like 220 hours. So if I work between like 20 and 25 hours a week by three months, I should be where I expect to be. And that's more or less how it's been going. But at the same time, like tonight, we're going to like working this weekend, booked my hotel like Thursday to Sunday and booked the car Thursday to Sunday. I still have my weekly quota. If I make that quota in two days, then I'm good. Like I'm done. Like I'm not gonna keep working the rest of the week. I'll go home. That makes sense because you're doing this for time. Yeah. And so you got to prioritize that. Man, I I had a conversation with a friend, kind of a newer friend. We went over their place for dinner and he's really successful. He's really smart. He was saying he he just quit his job because he was working too much to start on his own. He works 60 hours a week now, but before it was like 70 or 80. And I... It's hard for me to under, like to literally understand working that many hours is really hard for me. I suppose if you love it, okay, you can do it. But I can't imagine working that much, especially if you don't love it. Yeah. And I really I did love my old job. And like I was excited to go in and see my friends. And like, I don't know. It was like social too, but I don't know. 
I guess people say, I remember my aunt, she died of ovarian cancer, I think in like 2010, 11, like around that time. And she had worked really hard her whole life. And she was just like, none of it matters. Like at the end of the day, it just like doesn't. So I guess I kind of like, I heard that message, but I didn't really feel that message until like, it was my time to be like, you good with how the last eight or nine years went? Like looking back or would you have done it differently? And I'm like, oh my God, so differently. But you don't know until like you're like confronted with it. Does your old boss or your old coworkers, do they know your new chosen career path? A few coworkers do. My old boss sent me a text like a month ago, just checking in. He's like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Like, how are you? I was like, good. And I like filled him in. <laughs> and his reaction was, well, first of all, like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, secondly, like the card game? <laughs> like, yeah, like the card game. And he's like, oh, like, how is that? And I reminded him of a time. I was like, Tim, do you remember the time I spent 10 hours looking for 25 cents in our client's $4 million budget because it wasn't balancing? He's like, yeah, I do remember that. And I was like, that's the kind of mental illness that worked really well at the table. Yeah. Wow. So I was going to ask as far as advertising, are there any skills that you learned from the advertising world that do carry over to card counting or professional gambling? I think really the only one that I think is transferable for me has been in advertising. It's a lot of like people pleasing because you have these clients and it's amazing how much more money they give you when you're friendly with them and you like develop those personal relationships and you're just like in general, like someone they want to talk to. So it's the same thing kind of like at the table. I know I've bought myself so much more time just by being like someone like the pit wants to talk to, or like the dealer is having fun with. It's like, I don't get upset over the big losses. They're like, wow, you're really like the best loser we've ever seen. I'm like, you know what? We're just here to gamble and have fun and like, just make it like, you know, it's a job for them too. But like, if you can all have a little bit of fun with it, like, I think that has definitely helped buy me more hours. Absolutely. I mean, we've been talking a lot about this. We being, I don't know, I guess me and Joe aid and, and some other people that help with BJ, but you know, just a lot of talking about how important the art of the game is. And there's this, we've been debating like, has card counting changed where you could kind of get away with it being just a, a robot at the tables 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I think there's some truth to that, but I think the reality is you're always going to get yourself a lot more time if you, how you interact in a casino. And I don't think that it was like, nobody trained me. I mean, professional blackjack doesn't talk at all about how you act. But the second book I read was Burning the Tables in Las Vegas, which is kind of everything that's good about that book is how how he interacts with dealers, pit bosses, casino personnel. And he says, the casino is your customer. The customer is always right. There's this huge emphasis on the art side of it. So I was kind of had that as a foundation when I got into Car King. Maybe I've done a poor job with BJ of talking about that stuff because to me, it's a little bit assumed, but it's a huge part of how long you can last somewhere. And if you can't get the hours in, how can you make money? 
For sure. And even like the intel that they give you free of charge. Yeah. I mean, usually I find like the dealer is always the first person to figure out what's going on. And they'll be like, watch out for that lady in like pit seven. Like, don't let her catch you. Like, watch what you're doing. And then I've had a dealer go, don't go to the cage right now. Like I heard them talking. So just oh wow, those little tips are so helpful. Yeah, that is awesome. And it's because they have chosen to to like you just based on, you know, how you interact with them. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the time it, it's been like that, just like friendly and then like having a conversation about it. And like, obviously, like I'm a good tipper when the count's high. Like I just, I think that's, it's nice. I like to do it. And if it's within my EV, I'm good. But like even getting backed off, like I was at this huge property where the walk from the table to my car, easily 15 minutes. So when I got backed off, I was like, Hey, like no hard feelings. I get it. You have a job to do. And he's like, Whoa, thanks for being so cool about it. I'm like, thank you for being so cool about it. He walked me to my car and we just had like the best chat about like, got kind of like deep. Like we talked about our microaggressions and how we're trying to improve ourselves as people. And then I was like, I'm just going to save you some time. Like it's a rental car. And he's like, thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. So being like a female AP, comparing your stories to other, you know, maybe male APs that you've heard of, is there any difference in treatment that you've seen from other players at the table or the casino staff or anything like that? I mean, other players, for sure. Like, it's almost impossible to play heads up if someone sees me playing alone, like, bam, they're playing with me. And I always like to ask, but I'm almost never, like, asked in return. Sometimes I am, but usually not. But I do think overall it's an advantage. And, I mean, I've heard the argument go back and forth, like, well, there's so many more male APs, so it's easier to kind of, like, blend in with the mix. or people are maybe more suspicious of you because you look the part, whereas I don't look the part. But I guess the counter to that is, well, maybe my back off is more memorable because maybe they haven't seen like 20 other female APs that week. So like I'll stick out to them, but I don't mind that because I also just think in terms of like different cover and like different looks that I use, like obviously like When I had cancer, I lost all of my hair and I didn't love that look for me. So I got a wig and I got, so like, this is my natural, like brown hair, but so I got a brown wig and that looked super wrong when I didn't have like eyebrows and eyelashes. It just looked like very harsh and like not realistic. But when I got a blonde wig, like not having, you know, the traditional like look, it wasn't as jarring. So I still have like a few blonde wigs. I have like a few brunette wigs. I look different like (laughs) with those different things. Like I would say, I don't know if men would have that same advantage of being able to just like really radically change how they look. Obviously you guys have facial hair. You got that beat on me, but like what you shave it and now you can't have that again for like a week or something. I don't know. But I think that's why my local market has like treated me so well for so long. I've been backed off the same casino like several times under like different names. They don't, which is saying a lot considering the way that I walk is a little bit unique because of the surgery I had. And it gets way more pronounced after I've been sitting at a table for eight hours and I get really stiff. And then I walk and it's just 
like honestly just looks like a gallop at that point but like which is different than walking in when I'm looser but so even with that working against me it hasn't really been an issue have like your energy levels returned to how they were like pre-treatment or are you finding yourself like hard to play at the table for really long periods of time I'd say I have more energy now than I really ever did before. What do you attribute that to? I think I'm just happier in general. I look forward to my days. And I was explaining to Joe the other day, like, I was walking to the gym and I was like, kind of pissed about Like, I didn't want to go to the gym. Like, it sucks. Like, I don't want to sweat. And I just want to, like, I didn't, I didn't want to be doing that. And then I kind of just, like, gave myself the reality check, like, like, bitch, you used to dream about this. Like, when you were stuck at the office and you were like, well, if I didn't have a job, I would just be working out all day. It's like, well, well now you get to do that. Yeah. Be thankful for that. And, like, I gave myself, like, a little bit of an attitude adjustment. And, like, it's just, I love living by myself. Like, that's really fun. <laughs> like, I get home and I'm like, well, what do I want for dinner? Oh, I guess whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice. I like it. I wanted to ask about, you posted on the forum, a uh, illustration you did. Oh, yeah. You talk it with a, well, a host, right? Is that right? <laughs> you know, host, yeah. Yeah. Have you done more of those? No, I have a lot of ideas for more that I want to do, but I haven't really given any time to it. And I didn't personally draw that. That was like, you know, working in advertising, it's a lot of creative people with a lot of talent. Like I, I was not blessed with that, but yeah, no, I have a lot of ideas because I mean, so many people in the forum have so many cool stories, but like not like an immediate platform to share them publicly because nobody wants to dox themselves. Yeah. But like it's a cartoon character. It could be anybody. Yeah. That's kind of the book we're putting out soon is very similar to that. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'd love to see more of those. Yeah. I want to put out some more of those too. It's it's cool. So yeah, I have some more ideas in the hopper. Awesome. So you're playing about 20 to 25 hours a week on average? Yeah, on average. But usually, like, if I make that quota before that, like, my work week has been like four hours before. And if you're not, if you're having a bad trip, will you play more? Yeah. If I don't have plans to get back home to, yeah, I'll see if I can eke out a little extra time there. But also, the longer I stay, the more money it is because. My quota is after expenses are paid, so it's not you know, free to be there. But I mean, I'd almost rather take the L and like get back to life than to really extend my stay. Like I won't stay another night, but if it's that morning, if I can fit in another trip before I hit the road, like absolutely, I'll do that. And you're getting enough. I mean, yeah, you're on track for a thousand hours a year. You know, you should be good for that. You had a story about being able to change the table rules at this one particular property. Could you share that one? Yeah, it was on a cushet. <laughs> so Which is notoriously like horrible rules. Yeah. Like it's just really bad. Yeah, I was expecting it to not even be playable. I assumed it was gonna be, you know, a continuous shuffle machine. So I was surprised that they were even hand shuffling. Yeah. But yeah, so they were hand shuffling. It was an eight-deck table no surrender, hit 17. But the other rules were fine, I guess, like you could still double after split, double any two. So yeah, like probably no business playing, <laughs> no surrender, hit 17 table. But I was like playing with some people that I had met like earlier that day. And it was like, 
a $5 table. I didn't really care. And then the pit boss comes over and I was like, Hey, like, why not ask? Like, yeah, <laughs> you'll never get anything that you don't ask for. So I was like, Hey, do you mind changing this to like a stand 17 table? And he was like, actually, yeah, like we could do that, but it'd have to be a hundred dollar minimum. I'm like, great. When do we do that? <laughs> and he's like, well, I need a day's notice. I'm like, consider this the notice. And so the following night they opened a table legit, just like nobody else on this cruise was paid, like playing those stakes. It was for real targeted to people who are like retired, not betting at that level. So it's really just for me. And it was so nice. And like, they legit did not, like, they don't know what counting is. Like, they for real don't. Like, I got in so many hours, kicked my ass. I don't have anything to show for it. But, like, at one point, the pit boss sits down next to me, and he goes, you know, to play differently. I'm like, oh, yeah, how's that? He's like, well, really just start betting. I'm like, oh, do you do, like, a progressive bet structure or something? He's like, yeah. Like, I don't bet all randomly. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Did they change the decks as well? To six deck, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what was your bet spread there? So it was $100 minimum, and I kept the same spread that... Two spots, 500 Yeah, or two spots, 1000 Two spots of 1000 Oh, wow, yeah. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. One to 20 spread. You can win and lose a lot <laughs> with that bet spread. But yeah, man, we had a guy on my first team that went on a cruise just for fun. And it's like he brought like five grand with him just in case. And it, it was like the same thing. A stand 17 it wasn't hundred dollar minimum. I mean, it was 25 or whatever. And he crushed them, but he didn't have the bankroll that, you know, it's like he won like 20,000. If he would have been properly funded, it would have been, you know, 50 or a hundred thousand or whatever, but it was the same thing. They just had no clue whatsoever. Yeah. And like when you're in an open hunting season like that, like you think your time has got to be limited. So like every time he approached me, I'm like, this is it. This is my time is up. Thank you for having me. But like every time it was something different, he's like, the captain has just informed me. We'll be in Italian waters in 20 minutes. This will be your last shoe. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How many days did this go on for? It was an 11 day cruise. That started on the second night. And then there were, I think, two nights that I couldn't play one because I was off the ship and the other one because it was in Italy. So overall, like eight, probably seven, eight nights of that. And like, is the casino open 24 hours or do they open it in the evening? No, it was such a small ship that they were only open like a few hours a day. So if they opened at eight, They would close whenever they didn't have any people in there. I shut them down every single night. Like, I think they probably hated me. Like, (laughs) I was the reason that they couldn't, like, call it early. (laughs) It was probably, like, the chef or something. It was also the dealer. (laughs) Like, it was a small operation, for sure. And have you played anywhere else internationally? Well, a part of that cruise was a day in Monte Carlo. So, like, I had to. Yeah. What were the games like there? Oh my gosh. So like, A, like beautiful, like insane. So on the main floor, it was all CSM and like 25 euro minimum tables packed, like packed. So I asked them like if they have any hand shuffle tables and they look at this and they're like, no, no, we don't. I'm like, I find that hard to believe. I'm like, you don't have any hand shuffle tables. They're like, well, in the salon privé. And I'm like, (laughs) Where's that at? 
point me in that direction. And they're like, well, that's a hundred euro minimum. I'm like, okay, where is it at? Like, show me. So like they pointed me in that direction and I get to the, their version of a high limit room called like the private salon or whatever. And there's like somebody outside and he's like, this is for members only. And I'm like, but the guy in that room just pointed me over here. He's like, well, you can go play in that room. It's the same game. And I'm like, machine in there, hand shuffle in there. I'm like, can you let me in? And he's like, let me see your passport. Anyway, so like he takes my passport. He goes and talks to like five other people. And then he comes back. He's like, yes, but we're going to be, it's a 200 euro limit or minimum. I'm like, fucking fine. Just like, <laughs> let, like let me in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I got in there and like, holy shit. It was like low key, the most beautiful, like I played outside. Like, oh, wow. The, you like through this, like if you could play inside, they didn't have those tables open because it was so beautiful out. So like we walk out onto this like terrace with like a view of the med palm trees, a private waiter was like standing behind my table. Like, he's like, would you like chocolates and champagne? I'm like, say less. <laughs> yes, <I do." laughs> so It was so cool. Was the game good? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the game was uh, stand 17, six set decent pen like four and a half four and three quarters sometimes like yeah i know <laughs> awesome how long how did they react to you spreading did they even care or? they did not seem to care at all and i was like ready to i had read a little bit online that they use software so i did like some cover like you know if they offer insurance like i put like a five dollar tip just to like whatever but like it didn't know Nothing, nothing. Like at one point I thought maybe they were looking, but like that was my paranoia. They were not paying attention to me. So when you went on the cruise ship, did they take US dollars or did you have to convert a bunch of money to euros first to play on the ship? No, the casino only operated in US dollars. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's that convenient. convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Monte Carlo euros, but the cruise was dollars. So after, you know, how many career hours would you say you have at Blackjack now, if you had to guess? Like around 450. Is there anything that you actually miss about your old work life compared to Blackjack? Not even one thing. Nothing. No. <laughs> no. no, I don't miss it at all. No. And 450 hours in, how's it going? Well, so that cruise, that was my biggest hit, like, to date. Like, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it was so not good. And... I haven't gambled since then, but that was also not that long ago. I got back 18 days ago and I'm going back today. But yeah, like it just kind of comes with it. And I just keep kind of reminding myself, like the cards I'm about to play have no idea what just happened. Like start from not scratch, but like fresh mental restart and go like you always do play like you always play and you're not starting from square one. Like you're still up a significant amount for your, like, right. I'm still where I should be. Okay, good. That was a come to Jesus moment, but like my yellow line, while it does look like the cliff I wanted to jump off of is still kissing my blue line. So, okay. This is the most common thing in, in these podcasts where I'm imagining a listener in, it's like, well, everything to me sounds like, oh, okay. So you're in the negative. But what you're saying is, oh, now you're at, you're at EV, you're way above it. So I'm glad to hear you've made money. 
for sure. For sure. And like, that's the other thing, like, because my variance had been soaring, like so far above, like where I like needed it to be. Like, I don't spend that money. Like that goes into future rent money. So like, I have like all these envelopes in my safe that say like, first it was January rent, then February, then March, April. I think I got up to like May rent for next year. Oh, wow. Do I need that today to go yeah. support my new bankroll? Yes. <laughs> but like, I'm fine. It just did not feel good. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that's it. Any huge downswing, where they call that loss aversion, where it's way more painful to lose, where people will make bad financial decisions to avoid losing than you know, like if someone won at a casino, they would take very bad odds to avoid losing back what they just won. And then the, the flip side is true. If you've lost, people take very bad odds to try to win back what they lost. So it's like psychologically, is it's a lot harder to lose the same money you just won, even though, hey, I, I already won that. 1000%. Like we learned about that in econ in business school. It was like losing $100 feels way worse the equivalent of how good it feels to earn a hundred dollars. And it's like, so true. There you go. Thanks for putting that succinctly. (laughs) Yeah. It's a real feeling. I guess the final question to wrap it up, where does the name Curly Fry come from? Oh my God. This is like, it doesn't even make sense. Like the story that would make perfect sense is like, I have really curly hair and that's what my nickname was growing up. That's not, no, that's not even it. That really stupid app that I told you about before, like, I was playing against someone and their name was Nacho Cheese. And I thought that was the funniest thing. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just made a curly fry. That's it. Like, there's no, there's really, yeah, I need a better, more fictional story to come up with that name. That makes me think of uh, James Grossgene. He, he wrote some blog posts about the book that I published a few years ago. And he had this thing where he's like, Colin Jones, we know that's not his real name. And I'm like, oh, you give me way too much credit. <laughs> I wish I had come up with a great alias, but I was not that smart. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I could always change my name moving forward. At least it's not like there's probably more than one Colin Jones like within like five miles of you right now. Yeah, there are. There's there's several several in, in my area, I know, because I was at a sports event and it said, happy birthday, Colin Jones, and it wasn't my birthday. Another one of me. Anyway... So you're content plugging away, getting that next 500 hours and going from there? Yeah, for now. Until observing me, like I do get the question a lot from family. So like, what's next for you? Because this was kind of like a big change, but I don't know. I'm not really thinking that far ahead. Like as long as I'm feeling good and having fun, like I will continue to do it. Like I don't want to get trapped in that same cycle I did before where I didn't make any changes because things were good enough. And I was like, I didn't want to upset like the apple cart, so to speak. But yeah, I just, until it doesn't feel right, like I'm just going to keep plugging away at it. Yeah. That'd be awesome to follow up, you know, maybe in 500 hours, you're like, yeah, that was fun. And I'm done. I'd love to hear that story or you know, wherever things are at. That's honestly, you know, I've probably shared this before, but it always bums me out when people get stuck in advantage play because they're either afraid to do something else or they just don't have any vision, you know, and then to see people, it's like, you got into this for reason A and it's not meeting reason A, but you're still in it. Why? Yeah. Glad you're asking that question. Yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to, I guess, like stay self-aware enough that 
I'm picking a routine that feels good. Even though routine is something I struggle hard with, like I fully signed on to this podcast 24 hours ago, like (laughs) ready to go because I have no structure in my life. So missing appointments or showing up a day early is very on brand for me. But when it comes to this, like the tables are always open usually. So that kind of disorganization is really not that harmful to me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. It's a pleasure to finally virtually meet you. And it's really a unique story. And we hope nothing but the best for you in Advantage Play and in life moving forward. And can people reach out to you through the forum or would you rather them not? Oh, no, 100%. Okay, cool. Well, when this is live, I'll post it in the forum and people can ask their follow-up questions or tell you how much they loved this podcast on on the forum. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. And if people want to find out more about beating blackjack and card counting and all that stuff, check out Blackjack Apprenticeship. And if you want to train and be serious about it, check out our membership where you can learn there. And we will catch you guys later. Bye.